This time on Poll Hub, new data from our national poll with NPR and the PBS NewsHour. Just as a federal judge has ruled against the new highly restrictive Texas abortion law, we have new information about what Americans think about some of the most extreme provisions of that law. We're going to talk about that. Then some surprising new findings about the role social media is playing in our politics. It's not a surprise that it's riling us all up, but you may be surprised to find out that we are living in entirely separate worlds on social media. We'll talk about that as well. Then Lee's fun fact is extra special this week because Lee's not doing it. We have a guest host and this guy has his own podcast. It's a good show. Let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. And I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I'm Lee Marengoff. Well, the Supreme Court is back in session and the justices have quite a few uh, interesting cases on the on the docket uh, uh, for this uh, for this year, uh, many of which uh, are likely to uh, reshape uh, a number of issues that we have uh, discussed uh, over time. Um, and abortion, I think, being one of the biggest ones. Um, we've been seeing a lot of state um, uh, a lot of state legislation. Um, there has always been a good amount of uh, states that have uh, been testing um, Roe versus Wade. Uh, but this time right now we have a Mississippi law uh, which is looking to ban and limit abortion uh, or I should say allow only up until uh, 15 weeks, although I believe a couple of exceptions um, are included with that as well. Um, but what it really tests is this idea of uh, whether the state laws that have been trying to restrict abortion over time um, can ban uh, pre-viability and whether they are going to be found unconstitutional. Uh, there's a new court, as we all know, uh, it's 6-3 conservative. So the expectation is that uh, some, of the some of the decisions coming down on this legislation um, may be very different. What are, what are the implications uh, well, of this? Just before we talk the implications, I just wanted to say that in terms of the poll data, uh, and what we ask nationally, I think it's very interesting and, and gets right to the uh, implications. Do you support or oppose a law that allows abortions, but only up to the time, et cetera, the Texas law essentially? A 50, cardiac activity yeah. Yeah, is detected, which is the Texas law, not, not the Mississippi law that it's yes. going to be heard. Yep. And it's roughly, uh, and, and the numbers were 58 oppose, 32 support, uh, and Republicans are in opposition, Democrats are in opposition, independents are in opposition. It's fairly uniform around the country in terms of op opposition to that. Uh, and then the well, other- Also, you know, we might just add on that too, Lee, the 58% who oppose actually include those who think abortion yes, should be course. illegal uh, under any circumstances. So the question is about whether um, abortion should be allowed um, until cardiac activity, um, about six to eight weeks into the pregnancy. So just to just to be clear, yeah, that I think that's important. People on both has, sides of the spectrum, exactly. And I think that's an important point to to, to make on this. Um, and then the question was uh, second question that we asked was about whether people support or oppose a law that allows private citizens to sue abortion providers or anybody who assists a woman in getting an abortion. There, the numbers were seventy four opposed and only eighteen percent 
percent support. Uh, we've done in the past uh, Roe v. Wade questions. Um, I think one of the points I would just make in terms of an implication is that this Supreme Court uh, may in fact be very much out of step with public opinion, not just on this issue, but on other issues as well, um, and may take a new step in terms of partisanship uh, when I was way back in graduate school decades ago, we knew the court was political, but it was supposed to sort of be above party. Um, I'm not so sure that that case could be made today. I, I think the important thing about the two questions we asked, and we have done a lot of, um, yeah. uh, we've done many surveys over many years asking a lot of questions about abortion. And, and I think Barb will probably mention shortly here, there's so many shades of gray. We ask it a lot of different ways. There's a lot of nuance because this is not a simple black and white question for the vast majority of Americans. But this notion that, that uh, the state of Texas is not the one enforcing the law, they didn't pass a law banning abortions that they would enforce, but that instead they enabled private citizens to basically go out and be a posse comitatus to uh, sue anybody, including an Uber driver, you know, who took a woman to an abortion clinic without even knowing that that woman was going to an abortion clinic, uh, possibly could be sued. That that that, that um, percentage of people, only 18% support that, and there was bipartisan, uh, you know, uh, rejection of this, I think is an indication that um, there is an extreme, there's a far end that Americans are not going to tolerate um, when it comes to abortion restrictions. Um, and and the way in which abortion opponents try and set that up. And, and I think that's, th that number is really striking. I did want to ask a quick question, though, about the first question, which you raised the issue, Barb, that that there's a bipartisan majority that does not support mm -hmm. um, uh, banning abortions after six to eight weeks, but that it includes both people who don't think there should be any abortions and people who think there should be abortions at will. Is is there a different way to ask that question so that we have more understanding of that? Because it, I think a lot of people see that number and they go, oh, wow, Republicans don't support it either. And it's like, well, anti-abortion Republicans don't support it for an entirely different reason than anti than than pro-choice Democrats, for instance. So I, I think that I think that what's important here is that very often when we look at polling data, and we we've talked about this uh, before, when we look at polling data. Uh, particularly on issues that have to do uh, with what people, some people think is just a cultural issue, other people see as a faith issue, um, that there are a lot of nuances to that, to that opinion. And it's very difficult to, to capture that opinion in one question. So when we, we often see um, questions on abortion in the public debate, um, it tends to really simplify uh, the issue rather than explain it. And I think a couple of things come out of our polling uh, of this issue in depth. One, um, most Americans um, want abortion to be legal in some sense. Um, they do not want a complete ban of abortion under any circumstances. The exceptions of the, of the life of the mother, um, there's very strong support for that and the exceptions um, for rape and, and incest. Um, in addition to that, um, most, most Americans go beyond that and um, do think of um, having allowing abortions uh, within the first trimester. However, 
um, if you if you think about what that is in terms of weeks, um, you are then looking at um, you know restricting abortions uh, beyond um, beyond uh, you know twelve beyond twelve weeks. And so when we're looking at some of these other laws, such as the one in Mississippi, um, which again is a, a, a ban of abortions pre viability that has you know kind of been the the benchmark. Uh, for requiring exceptions, uh, which is the viability uh, of the of the fetus, and so when you when you look at that, that actually falls uh, within kind of that consensus area of where Americans are. Um, but the but the issue here is whether um, abortion remains legal in the United States, and I I think that's a real question because if the if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, a number of states have what are called you know these trigger bans, which as soon as that uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned, um, the laws become much more restrictive and uh, disallowing abortion. And so I th think this is a case um, as I was talking about the partisanship of the court, uh, there was a Marquette poll, uh, which was out in August, um, and it talked about the court and people's sort of sense of faith in it. And to your point, Barb, uh, you know, it showed over the past year that faith in the court had dropped 17 points from what it was uh, a year ago, September. The Supreme Court is still held in the highest esteem, higher esteem, highest esteem of our three branches. Uh, but this uh, may be a role uh, that uh, kind of like oversteps what a lot of people want. And also whether it's in step with public opinion becomes uh, part of what may be damaging to the court uh, and bring it into the uh, crossfire. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back in the field with questions about abortion as, as we uh, often do uh, as this moves ahead. Um, let's switch gears to uh, another topic that we've, we've spent some time polling about and we've uh, talked about a lot, which is the impact of social media um, on uh, Americans' political attitudes, on their news consumption. We've talked about it in a lot of different ways. There's a new Pew um, research uh, study that, that we spotted in the last couple of weeks that we thought was really interesting. They looked at 2016 and at 2020, and they looked at the ways in which politicians used social media. And there were some big differences uh, in terms of how often, there's a couple different parts of this, but one thing that really stood out is in 2016, Politicians, Republicans, and Democrats um, use social media less than they did in 2020, not a surprise. But they also tended to use similar sources more often. By the time you get to 2020, one of the things that they found was that Democrats and Republicans in social media were not only using almost entirely different sources, they were talking entirely different languages. Um, what, I'll point out one thing, and then, then let's talk about it. They looked at, for instance, the, um, the, the number of terms, the way that terms were used and how much engagement they got. And when Democrats talked about Trump, they got way, way more engagement than they did with other things in 2016 and in 2020. But in 2020, they were talking about Judge Barrett and the president, the Supreme Court. The Republicans were talking about the illegal vote and Hunter Biden. And that's where they got all of their engagement. What does this say about where we are, you know, as a as a polity, to use the Greek term? I got one word, Barb. I got one word. Polarized. Okay, okay now you can go. <laughs> 
Well, but you know, but it, it, it's it's actually, I, I feel it's more than that. And I, and I think what I found particularly interesting about this Q research is that it is actually a uh, rigorous method of scientifically um, looking at what I think we've all experienced uh, anecdotally, which is this sense that um, if, you know, we have friends or family uh, from different sides of the aisle, that we're actually having a difficult time communicating with each other, uh, when especially if we venture into the, the political realm, um, because the information um, that we uh, that we get, the sources that we're um, looking at are so different. And as you point out, Jay, the language we're not even we're not even talking in the, with the same words and looking at the same issues but have been kind of moved into these very kind of, uh, you know, separate paths of what's an important issue. And, I, and it's not just politics. I think we also have seen this very much in terms of uh, COVID, uh, COVID information, and you can call it information or misinformation. Um, I think sometimes it's almost even hard to tell the, 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 the difference because people are so, so entrenched in their camps that misinformation actually means something different to people in those in those different in those different camps. So um, it's the the Pew the Pew study is is very insightful because I think it's something we've all we've all experienced. Yeah, and I think you know as you say, there's very little common ground right now in terms of language, in terms of outlook. Uh, I mean, you know, you used to joke about not wanting to sit next to your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving. Well, right now, you know, everybody's <laughs> playing the role of crazy uncle. Yeah, we have alternative facts, which kind of emerged uh, during the Trump years as a whole a whole new thing. I think a lot of it is cultural too. Um, so, you know, we're talking about religion. Well, not surprisingly, that's, those terms show up more on the Republican side. Uh, you talk, as you said, about masks and, and uh, vaccinations. That's more of a Democrat talking point, um, that language. So, you know, it's, you know, just take a look at what the Senate is doing every single day. They're not talking to each other. They're talking to their folks back home, to the bases. And so it's lost this sense of compromise which is what the political system is supposed to bring about. Um, if Joe Biden doesn't get his way in an hour and a half, he's failing. Well, maybe this is just part of the process. You know, it takes a little bit longer and these days a lot longer because the language is so different and the, the sea is parted. You mentioned those, and, and there's a really interesting chart in this poll and we'll put we'll links to this in the, uh, in the show notes so you can see this for yourself. But there's this great chart where they show the discrepancy between the number of times a term is used by Republicans versus Democrats and the top discrepancy uh, uh, that Democrats, you know, oversample, if you will, is the word equality, where it's mentioned, you know, like 90% of the time um, in, in, in lawmakers, this is again in lawmakers posts, and fewer than 25% of the time for Republicans. Bless is the biggest discrepancy along with Israel. These two are the biggest difference between Republicans and Democrats, where Israel is mentioned in almost 75% of the posts of Republicans and just about 25% of Democrats. Bless a little bit less often for Republicans, but 70% and way less for, for Democrats. But it's interesting that you mentioned this, Lee, and, and this is quantified. We aren't speaking the same language, literally. 
in social media. These lawmakers are talking to their audiences in different languages. Yeah, it's we know remarkable. that MSNBC and Fox use a different language and they highlight different things, but that's just part of it now. It's also what's happening in our legislative hallways. So yeah, how right. much how much of our how much of a leadership that we have in Washington is defining these this these terms or are just kind of victim uh, to the same you know sources and kind of camps um, in terms of information that they that they garner are they are they leading or are they uh, or are they also victims to this kind of um, you know uh, issue different different uh, not just positions on issues, but actually importance and priorities of issues. Well, I mean, I, I'd say in terms of a little bit of both, but I think in terms of the leading part, I mean, Donald Trump did not concede the election and he has led the Republicans into this position that the election was rigged and therefore Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. Well, that's unprecedented uh, in American politics and certainly, you know, that's leadership of a sort. Um, and if you want to think about the uh, what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, uh, that's also, you know, two, two sides of the same coin. Um, so I think there's that element to it. I think it's a little bit of both. I think, it, you know, the, the point here to me is, and I think you mentioned it, Barb, is that the Pew has quantified something that we all know. And I think there's a, there's a great deal of value in having hard data backing up some of our suppositions. And this is a great example. This it's we try and do the same thing in our survey research, but I just think this is a great a great example of that and has great value. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't though, because then the second part of me says, do we even care about facts anymore? Do not we, we do, but do a majority of Americans in their in their bubbles, you know, talking to each other and listening to the lawmakers and the media figures that they like do they even care if a fact you know breaks up what they think i don't know but it's fun fact time and we're going to have a little bit of a change of pace uh with the program and with a new thing a feature a guest to do the fun fact and who is more fun than harry enton our friend at senior data reporter from cnn and host of cnn's margins of error podcast Harry, welcome. You are the fun fact today. We've never done this. You are the one and only <laughs> guest fun fact person. I'm giving it over to you. What do you got? I, you know, here's here's my fun fact of the day, which is, did you know, Lee and team, that a quarter of all American couples sleep separately at least a few times a month? A quarter, 25%. I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Wow. So now, did you control for snoring? This is interesting. It turns out that the number one reason why couples sleep apart is snoring. Snoring is the a big emphasis. I believe it's 45%. Don't quote me exactly on it, but I believe that's right. 45% of couples <laughs> say that the reason that they do sleep apart is because their partner snores and they're just like, I can't do it anymore. I have to go to another room. So is this like, is this like the Dick Van Dyke show kind of sleeping in separate beds or is it different than that? So the Dick Van Dyke show uh, or the I Love Lucy, yeah, know, yeah, either yeah. way, okay. yeah, sure. either way, although I think I preferred the Dick Van Dyke show, TV, to be honest, yeah, um, which was you had twin beds in the same bed bedroom, right? A more modern phenomenon or modern interpretation that might have been a 1990s Seinfeld where Frank 
Frank Costanza and his wife had twin beds and then Kramer and Sarah Silverman's uh, character went and they slept in separate beds in Queens. What we're really looking at these days though are couples who are sleeping in separate bedrooms. Mm. Uh, they are not sleeping in twin beds in the same bedroom. And that's in part because the truth is the homes that we've been building over the last four decades are significantly larger than they used to be. And as well, there's more room to spread out in homes because the Census Bureau tells us that the number of people who are living in any home at a particular time is actually a good 13% smaller say, than it was in the 1970s. How do you know this? Uh, because I looked this all up, Jay. Because you have I... a podcast. Oh, see? <laughs> oh. That's, that, oh, was my, oh. that was my cue. <laughs> that was my cue. How do I know this? Uh, I know this because I have a new podcast called Margins of Error. It's on CNN. We've had uh, three episodes as of this recording, and we'll be going all the way through November. And we're doing non-hard news topics. You know, I, I think I'm associated with hard news, whether it be polling for political sure. races or whether it be a coronavirus, the data there and, you know, the rates increasing or decreasing. And, you know, the truth is, though, life is a lot more than just about hard news. There's a place for hard news, but life is a lot more than just hard news. So we're doing sleeping separately. We have an episode on the fight over daylight saving time. We have an episode on the fact that nearly 50% of Americans now believe in ghosts. And what I will tell you in sort of summing it up is that we start with one piece of data and then we explore it and, tell, and it allows us to tell a story about where society is and where society is going. And so, you know, on ghosts, for example, why is ghost belief up, say, fourfold since uh, the late 1970s? Well, it perhaps is in part because there are fewer people who believe in the God of the Bible. There are more people who are lonely. There's more access to the Internet for people to get this data. And so we're exploring all these different trends. And in each episode, we take one data point that's kind of fun or interesting. And then we explore what that tells us about our society. And what's important here, it's margins for error. And I know S's can be very, very important. You, uh, you go into that as one of your myth busters in daylight saving times, no S. Um, although I think most of us do say savings time, and I don't know whether it's plural or possessive, um, but the S is very, very significant, but it's margins uh, of error. Um, unlike that. So, uh, but it is, it is very, very entertaining, but it's, it seems like it's also a lot of work, Harry. I know this is supposed to be fun um, and I bet you have lots of fun, but you got to have a team too, putting this all together because um, it is packed full of information. It's exactly right. I got a great team working with me and I'm, I'm very thrilled with the finished product. I'm not saying it wasn't a lot of work along the way, but, you know, I'm essentially interviewing for any given episode, three to four people, at least those interviews go on for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, then there's a lot of research that's going on. But what we do for the listener is we compact it all into about 20 to 30 minutes of hard information, uh, which is told in a fun way. You know, I go out to uh, go try and find a ghost uh, in New Jersey. I go to a <laughs> clock shop in New York. Uh, in a in a darker episode, although one that I still think is interesting, I actually go out to a cemetery in Queens. Uh, so, you know, there are field trips that are involved here, but really what we're trying to do is give you 
uh, a good amount of information, but compact in such a way that it's both fun and easy to listen. Can to. you also tease perhaps something, some some episodes you have coming up in the future? Sure. So uh, I have uh, a few episodes. We have one on the fact that cremation is now the clear majority of how people uh, dispose of their body in the afterlife. The idea That's a of fun fact right there. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> very fun. Um, we have we what we, will we do without cemeteries then well we for, discussed for that your ghost for your we, ghost uh we yeah it's a connection we discussed that in the episode uh we have one about the divide in half plus seven rule for uh dating and marriages the idea of what's a socially acceptable age gap uh we also have one on my own phone phobia which is a favorite of mine uh that's coming up the idea that there are a lot of millennials out there who are are afraid of talking on the phone and we look at some data there and uh, we even have a fun one on um, my uncle Neil Sadaka um, and his musical um, Your uh, triumphs. You, you didn't uncle. know that? That's, a, that's no, the, I the didn't greatest know that at all. engine trivia question is that his uncle is Neil Sadaka. I think that's one. Wow. Well, I, I, I will, Harry, I, we could go on as you know and uh, you are the king of trivia. And uh, that's a whole Absolutely. other a whole other world. But I suspect when you say you start with one thing and then you build out from that, that may be a little bit. And also, Barb, you mentioned the S with daylight savings time. I will bet my savings on the fact that Harry knows. Then take me out to the ball game. It's Cracker Jacks or Cracker Jack. Which is it, Harry? Oh boy, I don't know oh. if I know this one. Oh I... darn! Oh no! Help! It's Barb. I help don't him out. care if I ever get back. Da, 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 da. Barb, I help him out. Probably Cracker Jack. Because right. it rises yes. back. Yeah. Yes. Thank yes. you. Absolutely. But it is margins of error and it's it's really a, a fun show to listen to. So good luck. Good luck, Harry. And uh, we're going to continue to listen. Always a pleasure to be with you. Hey, before we let you go, we want to let you know about something coming up on Wednesday, October 20th. Uh, a live version of Poll Hub. We're calling it Poll Hub Live. The original, right? Anyway, it's a chance for you to listen live uh, as we cover a bunch of different topics, but also a chance for you to engage with us, uh, to ask questions, and we'll answer questions from the audience. So mark your calendar, October 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Poll Hub Live. We'll give you more details as we get closer. And of course, the episode will also be in the podcasting app of your choice afterwards, but it won't be live. So, uh, Stay tuned for details. Poll Hub Live coming up on October 20th. That'll do it for Poll Hub this week. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Poll Hub team includes Ashley Marcinek and Marcello Bettman. If you enjoy Poll Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other like-minded listeners find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Poll Academy, our free online learning portal. If you have any questions, tweet them at us at Marist Poll. Finally, however, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as it's released. We'll see you next time.